Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is my good friend Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, uh, corporeal human listeners. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and today we have another special guest. I'd like to introduce Brad Iger. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Brad is on the podcast today because he and Ben both had the chance and took it to drive the Dodge Demon, uh, which is, I think the official name is the Dodge Challenger SRT Demon, but we just know now as the Demon. Isn't that right, guys? That's correct. Yeah, I mean... It's definitely uh, easier. It's less than a mouthful, you know. Um, you guys have these awesome stories that um, I listened. I, I actually read uh, Ben's story, and I'm looking forward to reading yours, Brad. But I would love a little bit of a teaser if you could tell me what went on um, over there in Indianapolis. Well, I, I want to point out a couple of things. Not only is uh, Brad an, an esteemed automotive journalist, but he's also a Hellcat owner. <laughs> So, oh, that's an I that's a very important point. So he came so, he came into this with a little bit of experience with the platform. Not only is he a Hellcat owner, but he's a longtime LX platform owner. That's yeah, it's true. I've I've had a Challenger. We have a Magnum SRT8, and then I tossed my old Challenger to get this Hellcat. So I, I do have a lot of familiarity with these cars. It's the only reason Brad was able to beat me at an autocross at the Bondurant School. <laughs> In in a Challenger because he's you know had one for like eighty years and whatever makes you feel better. I mean if that it, it probably does because you know I remember the instructor having me explain to you guys how to go around the course after that and that must have been pretty you know pretty demoralizing. <laughs> it was humbling. <laughs> so we have yeah you're right Sammy we went to uh, we actually we did a couple of really amazing things this week. Brad Brad was there the week before and then I came in this week. Um, and we went to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, where we drove, uh, that wasn't Demon-related, we drove the wide-body version of the Challenger Hellcat and the Durango SRT. And then we spent the, that was the morning, and then in the afternoon we went to Lucas Oil Raceway, which is where we just drag-raced the Demon for hours at a time. Yeah, it was a busy day, for sure. And on our, on our wave, it was really hot and really humid, but you kind of forgot about it because you're so busy driving... 800 horsepower muscle cars, you know. Yeah, we we had a lot of heat, but we didn't have the humidity that uh, that Brad did. So I think we were a little. We had we had a few a bit of an advantage at the track just in terms of getting some quicker times down. And uh, what I have to say about the Demon, wow, it's just you know I went in not really expecting to be as impressed as I was because I've always found the Hellcat, the Challenger version of the Hellcat, to be a, a difficult vehicle to drive quickly because uh, it's twitchy. The wheelbase is a little short. It's not an easy car to launch because there's not a ton of tire. And uh, I really wasn't expecting the Demon to be infinitely more manageable with 139. It's 139 more horsepower? Some, some ridiculous amounts. 840 horsepower on 100 octane race fuel, which is what they had in the cars at the drag strip. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's no one looks at the Challenger platform and thinks this makes a great race car or a great track car. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big sedan-based coupe, and, and that makes it a great Grand Tourer. But you know, the Hellcat to me has always been a really good street car that has track capability, and you know that's kind of the why I liked it so much. It's a really good data, you know, daily driver that happens to be really fun and really fast and sound really good. Um, so, and yeah, launching it off the line especially is, is tricky in those cars, especially with a you know 275 millimeter contact patch in the back. Um, so you wouldn't expect, you would expect it to be 
you know, almost as difficult with something that has a lot more power and just a bit more tire. Um, I think that they did a lot to focus on getting the car to go quickly off the line with the trans brake, with the drag radials, um, you know, with the, you know, the drag mode, you know, traction control and stability control. I mean, there's a lot, you know, I did a lot of passes, but more often than not, I wasn't giving it enough throttle off the line to get it as much as I wanted out of it. Yeah, because we're so used to having to goose or baby a car to avoid wheel hop or to avoid uh, just spin off the line. Yep. I, mean, I, I want to point out that it, we, we had a VHT prepared surface to use, which really helps. And none of us, I mean, yeah. can, I, I... Can you I, explain, sorry, just what's a VHT? Uh, it, it's essentially... I'm, I'm a little... It's a liquid glue that you can spray on asphalt to dramatically right. improve traction. And uh, you'll see it at any professional NHRA courses and uh, drag strips, sorry. And... Um, I, I drag race from time to time. I used to do it a lot when I was younger. When I was a, a teenager, when I was in my early 20s, I couldn't afford road courses. I didn't know anything about autocross. So I'd spend f 10 bucks a night and go to the drag strip, but we never had VHT. It was because it's $10 a night. You know, it's just kind of a street drag, run what, run what you brung with, with timing. Uh, so... I'm not used to VHT, and I like Brad. You know, it's it's really tough to figure out how much throttle you can slam onto those tires right at the starting line. And this car yeah. is built to be this this vehicle is built to be like hit that hard. I mean, I know that like anytime we do we have a manual transmission car, and you do like a clutch drop to try to like launch it or whatever you want to do, uh, however you want to actually launch it. It does seem like a, a it's a it's like a it it's it feels. It, it feels like you're abusing the car a little bit. Well, you're definitely – anytime you go full throttle on 840 horsepower, yeah, you're abusing the car. But it's it's in, designed to, t to take it. The What they did was they took the Hellcat suspension and they softened it because drag racing is all about two things, traction and weight transfer. And those two things are interrelated – uh, to the point where you can't really separate them. So by making the suspension softer, it allows the car to shift the, the its its mass rearward when you launch it, and that takes care of a lot of you know part of the difficulty of launching the regular Hellcat is because it's stiff because you want it to be on a you know you want it to be able to turn a corner, and mm -hmm. the Diva didn't really have that overhead uh, to deal with, so they're they're able to it's it's a very focused weapon as a result. Yeah, so, and I mean they they expect you to launch it hard. I mean it has it's the first car to ever have a factory installed trans brake feature where basically you it kind of works like launch control but in an even more sort of aggressive way where it it holds a certain RPM and when you let go of the trans brake it immediately launches at that RPM. They 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 limit it to 2300 2350 RPM which is pretty low by trans brake standards but definitely makes a huge difference from just sort of Sort of trying to like break torque the car and launch it. Oh, for sure. And it, it's interesting too because there's actually three ways to launch the Challenger at the drag strip, the the the, the Demon. You can use the trans brake. You can use a launch control system like what you would find on the Hellcat. It's a similar system uh, for for street use where it uses the stability control and the and the brakes to kind of hold the car. <laughs> and you can also left foot brake it and load up the torque converter on your own. I actually tried that. It didn't work great. <laughs> um, it, 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 it wasn't terrible. But, wow, that trans brake is amazing. I, I've never used a trans brake before. And the way it's set up in the Demon is you roll up to the line. Uh, you pull back both the shift paddles because it's an 8-speed automatic. They're all they're all 8-speed automatics. You Once you've done that, you put your foot hard on the brake. The car asks you to set the RPM. And this is the tricky part because, like Brad said, you can go up to 2,300 RPM. But when you set it... It's not set in stone. It's your foot has to hold it. 
So you have to hold your foot steady at the right at the right RPM. Once you've done that, you let go of one paddle. Once you've let go of that paddle, you let go of the brake. Now the only thing holding the car there is the trans brake. And you have one paddle in your hand and you have your foot on the gas. The hardest part of all of this is to <laughs> make the transition between that hand and your foot. Because when you release the paddle, those 2300 RPM or whatever you've chosen, they dump to the rear right away. That lifts the nose of the car and it's up to you at that point to roll into the throttle and put the rest of the motor back into the rear wheels. And the, the it's, it's ideal versus a regular uh, launch control system because there's it, it, it allows you, it, it, it's a flow. There's there's enough power to launch the car and plant the wheels and then you can give the rest of the rest of the power to the wheels and get it going. And when you when you catch it, when you get it just right, it's incredibly fluid. And all of the best launches that I had, I it, you you didn't know it was happening. There's no wheel spin, there's no chatter, there's no violence. You just rock it off the line. It, it felt like a catapult like on an aircraft carrier where they shoot the car off the edge or the plane off the edge of the aircraft <laughs> carrier mechanically. It was just one fluid motion. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, and uh, I, I was impressed by how how well and how repeatable the performance was with that transbrake. Yeah, I mean, it's very consistent as long as you get the, the sort of sequence right. It, it's a lot to learn initially. I, I hadn't used a transbrake before either. And the way they have it set up is intuitive once you understand all the functions you're using. But like, for instance, the first few times I used it by myself, um, it would it would like, you know, sort of freeze out at the last possible second. Yes. And I couldn't figure out why. And what I realized, I, mean, I think Jim Wilder, one of the one of the vehicle production managers for the Challenger, noticed I was doing was that um, after you release that second, that first paddle, and you release the brake, you have to wait for the pedal to come up all the way before you release the second paddle. Ah, so that makes a lot or, of sense. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. Or it'll disable it. I and, found you it because yeah, because the system is thinking that the brake is still on even though your foot's off of it, and that split second feels like a long time when you're sort of holding. 840 horsepower by your right hand you and everyone's know? watching you too that's the other thing like yeah. i i had i had situations where it canceled out on me eight or nine times in a row oh my trying God. to launch it i know exactly what brad's talking about and it, it when they explained it like at the presentation before we went driving it made no sense at all it wasn't until it wasn't until i had a demonstration run where i watched someone do it that i was able to figure it out like if you read the manual you're not going to know how to do it i highly recommend uh, there's a there's a bob bonder on day of, tr of of driving instruction that comes with every hellcat product every srt product i think and I highly, mm -hmm. highly, highly recommend you, the 3,300 people who are going to buy these cars, go do that. Because it's worth talking to people who have an understanding of the engineering behind the vehicle. You're, you're going to get so much more out of your car. Yeah, I totally agree. <clears throat> but uh, I, I, I know a lot of people, everyone's asked me, um, how fast did it run? How fast did it run? And we did not have official timing in the sense that we didn't have a big board at the end flashing numbers because for, for a couple of reasons. I think the first is journalists are competitive and that would have been a bad idea. But uh, the second witness, Brad and I talking about an autocross that happened a year and a half ago. <laughs> but uh, the, the other thing is this is uh, Lucas Oil Raceway is an NHRA regulated track. And at an NHRA track, there are certain safety rules that have to be followed. And if your car is faster than a certain speed, if you have a quicker than XET, you have to follow the rules related to that that category. The Hellcat is rated at 9.65 seconds in the quarter mile. 
If you go below 10, there's a bunch of stuff you have to do. One of those things is you're supposed to have a cage in the car. You're also supposed to have, uh, I think it's a bunch of shielding uh, around the transmission. You're supposed to have a net in the window, blah, 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 all sorts of stuff. So <laughs> Dodge did not, want us to, did not want us to have to deal with that, and uh, the timing was shut off. But, uh, Brad, what, what, what were your times that you saw on that really, really hot and humid day? You know, I... I didn't run the performance pages timing on my car, but I think that it's probably reasonable to expect that it was probably in the mid tens or so. Um, there were a few guys who were running the performance pages and they were getting like, you know, 10 fives, 10 sevens, 10 nines. I mean, it was really hot. And I mean, the cars were hooking up, but because it was, you know, the track was so sticky, but yeah, I mean, if you're seeing a 10 seven and the car's not getting any wheel spin, once you launch the car, if the launch is reasonably good, it's kind of out of your hands. You just basically, <laughs> mash the throttle and the car does the rest so yeah it's late it's, that's it's about all that, where we were it's that key to like ro rolling in the throttle is definitely 100 100 the key to success of this vehicle but yeah i i what, what blew my mind was um on my third pass i ran a 10-7 and i've never run that fast in my life in any vehicle i think the fastest i've ever gone is something like 11-3 or 11-4 and the car only got faster throughout the day i, I started out with the full wheeled uh car and I mentioned that because uh, there's a there there are two options. Well, there's a bunch of options, but the two primary options people talk about with the Demon are the fact that you have to pay a dollar to get rear seats and a, and a passenger seat. And I want to point out, if you don't pay that dollar and you get the car without the seats, you cannot install them later. <laughs> right. They, the 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 mounting points are not there. So get the seats and take them out yourself. Uh, you'll thank you you'll thank me later. <laughs> But um, there's another thing, the Demon Crate, which is a bunch of parts that come with the car, you know, tools and stuff. But you get the the tune for the ECU that, that gives you the 100-octane tune. And mm. um, I'm kind of spacing out on why I'm talking about this here. Why was it? Was I talking about? I was talking about um, – oh, the, the, sorry, the full tires. You, you also get the skinny little tires for the front of the car, which make the front mm. of the car lighter and, and, you know, marginally improve your ET. So I started out the day in the full tire car, which has 315, are they 35s, 45s? They're, uh, I need a 35s. So 315, 35, 18-inch wheels, uh, 18-inch tires, sorry, with uh, Neato NT05 tires, or a drag radial. And that car I got down to 10.4 or 10.5 after okay. maybe six passes. That's absolutely mind-blowing. Um, for me to step into a car I've never driven before on a drag strip and do that, it, it just really speaks to the engineering of the car. And I, sw I switched over to the uh, skinny tire car. And I want to point out, all these cars have been, you know, they, they never got a break. They were driven by journalists all afternoon long, uh, one right after the other. It's not like a, a lapping event where you get, like, five minutes of idling or ten minutes of idling in between passes. They were just bang, bang, bang. That skinny tire car in my first pass ran a 10-3. And then uh, by about 30 minutes later, I managed to 10-2 in that car. That's incredible for a street car with a full warranty. And something else I want to point out, the intercooler temperatures were 5 degrees below ambient <laughs> the entire time I was running. And it, it, that kind of capability blows my mind. Yeah, they, so. had, they had this cool thing called the uh, power chiller system where, where it, when you're running in drag mode, It'll redirect the uh, the air conditioning refrigerant from that system into the intercoolers, you know, into the heat exchangers for the supercharger to keep the the intake temperatures down. And apparently, with that and the after run system, which I can't remember exactly how that works at the at the moment. I think it runs the inner the the pumps and also the fans even after the car's been shut down. 
they like will turbo, lower kind of like a turbo timer yeah, sort of, kind, yeah kind of yeah they lower the the intake temperatures by i think like almost 50 degrees you know versus you know what they would be otherwise which is pretty impressive that's, i'm sure that's a huge element of why the cars are consistent throughout the day oh for sure i mean it, it was almost like this was the anti-heat sink car because mm-hmm. almost all heat soak i'm sorry almost every car i've ever taken to the drag strip every modern car especially your, your times get progressively slower right because even if you shut the car down and let it sit, you know, heat, heat soaks the engine, all the metal parts, blah, 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 and you end up with a very hot motor that can't move air as efficiently as it could when you first started. And with the Hellcat, or sorry, the the Demon totally flips that script. Yep. And um, yeah. I want to I point out something uh, that I was told um, later on in the day. Some of the cars, so even though we weren't timing the uh the event the uh race control in the tower was timing the event because they had to make sure that you know we were staying out of the out of the 10 seconds or less club and i i found out that one of the cars um that was running did break 10 seconds during during our wave which was this week so this is a nine second car i mean this is you know it's unofficial but uh, the fact that journalists could come in and run a nine-second ET in a car they've never driven before on a track at 90 de- that's on a 90-degree ambient temperature day it is an incredible machine, and I'm I'm and really I'm, I'm really I'm, I know also I'm fl- with a with a full interior. Also, with full interior, out. it has it has you know a crazy stereo system. It has everything. I, 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 the car that I was driving that ran the 10 too, it, it had it had the seats. You know, like it didn't. It might have had the skinny tires, but it still had the seats in it. So it's just wow is really yeah. what I have to say. Uh, kudos to FCA for making this possible. I really didn't think it would be this good. This is what yeah. I want to. I, I actually want to add. This is kind of nuts. Um. Do you think people – so, I mean, journalists, for the most part, they have some advanced driver training. Uh, they might have some experience with um, high-performance vehicles. Is it possible that a buyer of this demon, uh, if they had no understanding of how any of this would work, they could get those numbers, um, those 10 seconds or – I mean, those 10 or 9 seconds um, with some with some practice, just like just like that, just like I mean, getting I, it's, the cars made for well, that. practice, sure. I mean, but I was doing this stuff six six passes in. That's what that's yeah. what astounded me. I anyway. mean, I had never used a trans brake going into that, and I had very little you know experience at an actual drag strip, and we were running consistently within you know five or six passes. I think that once you get the the process down with the trans brake. It's it's I mean they they make it pretty intuitive once you know what they want you to do. Yeah, it, and you know like I I took a half second off my ET in the course of 3 hours. So that tells you a lot about once you get comfortable with the car what's possible in terms of accomplishing uh, accomplishing crazy times. Uh, one thing that was super weird though, every single one of my passes was at 128 miles per hour without variation. <laughs> Every single time. Every single time. So I don't know what that's about. Is the car really that consistent? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think one thing I found interesting about it, um, aside from the performance itself, was that when they started, you know, getting into the, the, the technical, you know, elements of the design of the car is how much they spent, how much effort they spent on durability. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of the car is obviously built around, you know, making a challenger go faster, but, I would say an equal amount, if not more, is based around making the car strong enough to do this all the time. Like, yeah. I mean, so much of like the internals is is not so much you know about 
making more power. So just making sure that this stuff won't break, you know, 20,000 miles down the road. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, I inside the engine, you have all the, the additional oil cooling uh, on the pistons. You have uh, the transmission has a bigger prop shaft. I mean, bigger, I mean, a beefier prop shaft. You got uh, a, a stronger rear differential and larger half shafts. It's uh, it, it's very much a it's a, a focused missile. It, it does one thing very, very, very well. It, you know, a company with the engineering resources of FCA, when you focus them that tightly, this is what they can accomplish. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's it's easy to sort of dismiss this car as sort of like a stunt, you know, a publicity stunt. But when you start looking at all the engineering behind it and realize that like this is a car that actually will potentially, you know, not have issues, you know, being used like this on a regular basis for a long time, um, and and seeing how consistent it is and how easy it is to drive out on the road, it's like this is a real car. This is a real nine second car that someone can walk into a showroom. Well, they and can't it's walk into a showroom and buy, you know, just easily, but. It is, you know, a normal order. production yeah. car that they can order. Yeah. If you've got the, if you got the eighty-four thousand dollars, is that, is that the number uh, lying yeah. around? Yeah, and I mean, also, and and you're, you know, you're not, you know, number thirty-three hundred and one, you know, because they're only building thirty-three hundred of these cars in total. And uh, and like you said, in terms of just being able to drive it on the street, the car's a pussycat. Um, there's nothing. It, it actually feels safer. I don't want to say it's safer because that implies the Hellcat is dangerous. The Hellcat is not dangerous, but it feels more docile on the road than the Hellcat because with that softer suspension, it really absorbs a lot of the uh, the tension of driving around with 800 plus horsepower under the hood. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean it's 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 an interesting sort of driving a Hellcat all the time versus driving that car. It's kind of weird because you you feel how soft the springs are and how soft the sway bars are and how much the dampers are fighting that in order to keep the car sort of balanced. Um, it's, it is an easy car to drive around town and it definitely is more compliant than a Hellcat is. Uh, it's just, it's just a weird setup to sort of have super soft springs and stiff dampers in order to have a, a street setting. Um, but that's the way it works because the dampers are so soft. Every, all, the whole suspension is tuned to be soft in drag modes so that you get that weight transfer. It's just, it's counterintuitive to what a performance tuning would be for a road course or, or handling on the street. And um, so I don't I don't understand, sorry. The car has like an adaptive suspension setup, like the drag mode changes it a little bit. It has adaptive yeah, it adaptive damp yeah, adaptive dampers. Wow. Yeah. I would have thought otherwise because wouldn't maybe that would have been added some weight to it that could have cut they could have Well, cut I mean the, the Hellcat has a has an adaptive damping system too. Basically what they did is they retuned those three-way, you know, three-mode Bilsteins so that mm -hmm. there there's a there's a, you know, a street mode, a sport mode that's a little stiffer <laughs> and then the drag mode which is super soft. Yeah, so okay. weight transfers. You couldn't drive around on the street in drag mode safely in all driving situations. It's not something you'd want to do if you had a fixed rate um, for the for the adapt for the dampers you you uh, the, the the springs um are, are are significantly softer but the sway bars it's 75 percent lower rate at the front of the car you know and this is a heavy car with a big engine and it, that's not you have to like brad said you have to have something that can step in and pick up that slack when you're driving on the street I've yeah got, it's interesting. Got... this is a car that could really only exist now because of all the technology that can that's not just the motor but all you know, like you were talking about the suspension tuning and the trans brake and all that, and the and being able to make drag radials that are actually streetable. Yeah, um, and I, and all I of those things. 
and and like it has a warranty and you know ford and chev they both build factory drag cars you can get the cobra jet you can get the copo but those are sold to race teams they're not warrantied it's just it's a it's a production factory production drag car with a parts program associated with it the the hellcat is a factory drag car that has a three-year warranty and they'll stand behind it so i mean it's fundamentally that's that's an incredible difference well, also, you know, the, the, the demon has to has to meet emission standards um, and, cr- you know, crash testing and all that stuff. And, I don't, and as far as I know, the Copo cars and, you know, the, the drag yeah. pack cars and all that stuff, they don't have to do any of that. They're just they just make the car as fast as they can based on the chassis that they have. They're, yeah, they're basically body and whites, you know, like. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that they, they you know, that has to be sort of commended, too, because that's that's a much more difficult, you know, bar to, to hit, you know. Now, this is a weird question. Did they have a top speed for this thing? Did they ever discuss yeah, it's, the top speed? It, isn't it 168 miles per hour? Isn't that what it's limited well, it's, to? It, I, I, it's probably electronically limited to that because of mm-hmm. the tires. I'm sure it could go much, much faster. I mean, the car, you're, you're trapping in about 100, you know, you said 128, but it's easy, right. you can easily get that thing to 140, apparently, when you're hitting mid-nines. Yeah, and wow. when, when, when you go through the traps, the car is showing no indication of slowing down at all. Like you no, are, just, it's, it's not. It's 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 an endless wave of acceleration. <clears throat> it, it feels like it, it could pull for another hundred miles an hour. So I mean, I would imagine that if 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 the car were set up to do it and you had tires that were capable of it, it would do well over two hundred. Um, but the tires themselves are limited to one hundred and sixty-eight, and the only reason they can do that is because uh, Dodge worked with Nitto to make tires that would, you know. Normally, drag radials are limited to 149, um, and they may, they especially developed the the compound and the construction of these ones in order to raise that to 168 because they were trapping the car at 140 in the mid nines, and they're like, well, there's not enough headroom, so we need to make a tire that actually is you know safe to run these speeds. Yeah, they they had looked at a higher speed rating for the tires, but uh, they would have had to um, accept some lateral lateral uh, t- traction compromises and they weren't willing to do that i have a couple of more questions um about like the logistics of this demon crate am i supposed to if i have this demon crate am i supposed to set the car up in my garage and then go to the track the crate is something that you sleep in beside the car um to like kind of feel closer to it and to commune with the demon that lives inside both the crate and the engine oh okay well, that makes sense. Um, it's like, you know in Raiders of the Lost Ark where they open that crate at the end and, and all <laughs> the Nazis melt? Yes. I don't think it's like that, but I'm not uh, sure. Spoiler alert, not all of our, not all of our listeners have. <laughs> oh, yeah, spoiler alert on a 45-year-old yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen it by now, all bets are off. Let's not even get started about the crying game. <laughs> um, so I'm supposed to set this car up at home and then drive it to the truck. No, the crate the crate is kind of it's kind of a misnomer in that you don't need it to set up the car. They say it comes with an engine module that accepts the 100 octane tune, but that's in the car like when you buy it. Uh, you get tools, you get like a jack and a torque wrench and an impact wrench and some other cool stuff, and you get the skinny tires. But the skinny tires will fit in the truck. Okay, the skinny. I, I yeah, they never the mentioned whether or not right. the actual crate fits in the trunk, which I'm curious to know. It and probably does. I mean, they had one at the at the presentation, and I mean, it looks like I mean the the trunk is pretty big. Well, I, but I it'd be re- interesting yeah. to see that. I just want to I want to back up a statement I made earlier. I'm having a flashback now. So, uh, the car <laughs> I drove, no, the, the skinny tire car that I drove to to the ten two, 
um, it it didn't have a rear seat. It had a fr- it had both front seats, but it didn't have the rear seat. And the reason I remember this is because when it takes off, there's like a a covering over the where the trunk access point is i guess and it kept flying up in the air and i kept thinking like the trunk was opening while i was launching the car <laughs> but it was actually the internal it was an in, in, inside panel that's it's like cool. a it's like a cardboard panel or like a flap or something yeah yeah, like yeah, yeah. okay it's, um, probably, other, it's an internal air brake <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's interesting about driving on those skinny tires if you've never done that before at least <laughs> that i noticed is that it is significantly harder to stop the car from 130 oh, yeah. miles an hour than it I is overshot. on the I overshot a couple times. <laughs> I was going to ask, these, these skinny front tires, they must be so strange dynamically to the to the vehicle, so unnatural feeling um, to use them. Yeah, I mean, one, what I had heard is that they, they both, you know, lower the weight in the front end, but they also reduce the rolling resistance that you that you have initially, and so those things together actually have a tangible benefit for your launch. Oh, but definitely. yeah, I mean, we... <laughs> We only drove those on the drag strip, but I mean, yeah, okay. the, the thing you'll notice about that mainly is when you go to stop the car and it's a, a totally different experience than when the normal tires are on the car. I mean, you need a lot more room and, and they, those tires want to break traction as you give them a lot of break because they are really skinny. I mean, they're, they're and, drag wheels. And you mentioned uh, low rolling resistance on these front tires. Um, how much rolling resistance is required when the front tires are in the air? <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it translates into drag. <laughs> it's, this is something. This is did you, you guys experienced this wheelie, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, a couple brief hops. Uh, you can definitely see the tires come very close to clearing the ground. I mean, when you're in the car, there's no way to know. The, right. the front end lifts, and that the front end lifting is a big part of working the trans brake properly because it lets you know. This sounds kind of weird, but you're able to tell from the position of the hood in the air when <laughs> how you should roll onto the throttle. Yeah, really? and the, the thing is, like, when when they say this car can do a wheelie, I think people are sort of envisioning, like, a Hemi under glass scenario where the yeah. thing is just... Like Jay Leno flipping over in a parking end. lot. And... <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that, exactly what I'm imagining. Right, but the thing is, if that car did that, first off, it would have wheelie bars on it, and secondly, they'd show it doing that. I think the, the record... <laughs> The record that they made with the wheelie is like less than three feet. So the car is getting like three inches off the ground in a best case scenario. The, okay. the wheelie, I mean, the, the front end is being lifted off the ground, which is significant for a production car. But it's, yeah. the, best, it's the best three inches of your life. <laughs> <laughs> that is what she said. Um, but, well, we're gonna have to you cut, know, it's not, it's, not a, <laughs> it's not a wheelie that... You know, it, it, it's it's more of a, a sort of like, uh, wow, it did this, but it's not going to be this wheelie that you're imagining, like, you know, top fuel, you know, or funny cars doing, you know. On, it's not on like the wheelie track. I imagine Brad does every time he pulls out of his garage in sunny California with his Hellcat and, like, just hits it really hard going to the 7-Eleven and, like, flames are coming out of the back and the, the car is doing, like, you know, three, three, three miles of wheel standing. And that's here's another, I imagine, that's what I, I imagine his lifestyle is like. Though. It is, but I mean, I have another point to make here. So, <laughs> so, so the the rear brakes and and hub and all that stuff is is identical on all the supercharged cars. Um, so the wide body Challenger, uh, you know, some of the SRT folks were were sort of likening it to a switch car. Basically, guys are going to come into the dealership and they're going to say, "I want a Demon," and they're going to say, "We sold them all already." But we have this car, which has 90% of the performance and 90% of the look of it, and this it, it's cheaper. It's $12,000 cheaper. And so the, the wide-body Hellcat, 
um, serves that purpose for sure. But what I found interesting is that because all of that that rear assembly is, is is similar and the you know attachments are the same size and all that stuff, um, you can just run. You could get yourself those eighteen by eleven inch wheels and those drag radials. Probably add almost half a second off of, or take half a second off of your ETs with one of those cars, and then with the wide body Challenger, you have a mid ten second car right there just by switch, switching out the wheels and not well, doing anything I mean, else. If you, I think it'd be hard. Still, still going to be hard to launch. I don't know if it's ninety percent of the performance. I think in a straight line, I think maybe eighty percent, just because like that trans brake and the 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 suspension uh, is is such a big part. Of of I mean that sixty foot time is is crucial. To sure, the those things are certainly elements. Everything works incrementally to get the car to nine six. Yeah, obviously nobody was seeing nine six, but looking at it as a nine nine car on pump gas with all the interior, you know, assuming it's in a, in a best case scenario, I guess it's a nine six car with a full interior on pump gas. It's a nine nine car. Um, so going from that perspective. If if the wide body car is a is a 10.9 just the way it sits, and you put those drag radials on it, and you add your takeoff, you know, let's say three tenths or four tenths of, of a second by doing that, you have a car that's within half a second almost of of what a demon would be if it was set up similarly. And which then is interesting like, to me. And then you crack open the JC Whitney catalog and get like a real slick set of uh, pace setter headers, and you put those on that motor, <laughs> and you're adding like what 50 horsepower. And and you're you're even closer to being like a demon. Well, I think what what'll be interesting is when somebody puts full slicks on a demon, and they're starting to and you know they're running you know they're launching it at twenty three hundred and as opposed to eighteen hundred on the trans brake, and those cars start getting closer and closer to eights, which is not that far away. But then they need a roll cage, and then oh, they the need a roll thing. cage once they go past ten. So I mean, anybody who gets that car to go faster than ten seconds will need a cage in order to run it. And then I was thinking, you know, maybe, you know, making your Hellcat do that a couple of times is nice, but the Demon seems to be engineered to be able to do it uh, reliably. Uh, it seems to be like almost over-engineered to, to handle the stress of doing that. Oh, and for sure. I, but I mean, if you're if you're the kind of guy who's doing what Brad is describing to their Hellcat to get to <laughs> a certain time, you're already putting the parts in you need to stop it from breaking because once it breaks you're not going to be able to do it until you fix it again right you know like right. so at that point you're going to be you know strengthening and hardening whatever you can and i also want to point out that if you put a cage in this car you're probably eating away all of the weight savings that they have mm -hmm. built into it right for sure <laughs> and also I, adding at you know taking three tenths or four tenths of a second off your time is is significant but i don't know if that's necessarily going to take this you know, Hellcat into a realm where the where the durability is is a serious factor, unless you're just drag racing it constantly. Yeah, and, and if you're not good at drag racing it, or if you have a manual gearbox in the car. Yeah. Um, hey. One of the things I wanted to ask you guys, I have actually two things I need to ask about this this whole thing. One is about the experience, and one is maybe about um, what this car means to the industry, uh, if anything at all. So the first thing I'm going to ask you. What's it like to do 10 seconds, uh, a quarter mile in 10 seconds? What is that like? How is that? Is that unlike anything you've ever experienced? Is it terrifying? Did you want to do it or is it addicting? Do you want to do it again? I mean, I think that, you know, it is really fast. It feels it, the, the experience is a lot like driving a Hellcat because it sounds like it. Um, it shifts. It's the same gearbox with a higher stall converter. So a lot of the experience is like a Hellcat that finally has traction. Um, it is definitely... <laughs> faster than those cars i mean you feel the extra 130 horsepower that it has um but what is your you know a lot of it a lot of the cars 
sort of speed is is down to it being so stable and consistent and being able to actually do this. So it's not terrifying, at least to me. It's just really impressive that the it feels really well engineered. It, what it feels like is that this is a car that's designed to do nine seconds, as opposed to we took a car that was 12 seconds and made it just do this nine second quarter mile a couple times. You know, it, yeah, it feels it, like a complete package. And this is and and like like Brad said, there's nothing terrifying about it because uh, it's so well engineered. I, I I think a lot of people are imagining a car squirming and sliding the rear end down the quarter mile as it manages to somehow accomplish this 10 second time but the reality is if you're that fast it's because you have traction and if you have traction you have nothing to worry about so once you hook the car up you're gone you're gone like a bullet from a gun and you get to the end you hit the brakes and hopefully you break in time with those skinny tires and go back and do it again it's repeatable and it's safe and it's it's face meltingly fast but at no point also it's a very large car and that helps dull the sensation of speed a little bit but uh, it's it's not like you're in some you know rattle trap drag car that might explode at any second. Yeah, it feels like a very 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 fast production car. And cool. uh, I I've I've been in a couple the the other cars that I've modern cars where I've gone close to that quick have mostly been twin turbo all wheel drive cars. Uh, I've driven a few AMG cars that have been very very fast, like low 11 seconds to to high 11 seconds. And those cars are frightening to drive because of the the nature of their power band is very different. And the, the quicker the engine goes, the more power you're getting. And it kind of feels like you're not going to run out. And it feels like it's getting quicker and quicker in a spiral. I don't know if that makes sense. It's hard to describe it. I mean, the, the McLaren 675 LT is a, is a perfect example. I mean, that car, it, it's so much of its power. That was the fastest car I production car I had driven before the Demon, I would say. Um, and... It's so much of its power is, is, is based around those turbos. And so you can get going and you think that the car is going to pull at a certain rate. And then the turbos start to spool up. And then it, you, you get another 300 horsepower thrown at you yeah. in the middle of going like 60 miles an hour. <laughs> and the car is, yeah, I mean, it, it can feel unstable because of that. And it feels like the car is fighting against itself to go fast. Where, I mean, it's like the, the, there's not enough grip. And all the power is coming on suddenly in this its burst, which is like dramatic, but not necessarily quick because it's losing traction and you're sort of fighting the car to keep it stable. Whereas yeah, this whereas was like something that was just sort of designed to do that. It's just linear. It's It, it makes sense. It's logical. Your, your brain can easily comprehend the relationship between gas pedal and power production. Yeah. And because it's not turbocharged, the, the power delivery feels linear as opposed to being these these sudden sort of surges of power that you get once the turbos come in exactly now the other question i had was uh, what this means for like the industry and that's a really weird question now so one i'm just gonna add some more i'm gonna add some more words to that question basically i'm gonna say um cars have become extremely fast especially you know sports cars and we're talking about a right now the demon we're talking about a car uh, a platform that's ancient um that can do zero to 60 in, in a ridiculous time and has an astounding um, quarter mile time will the introduction of the demon mean that things like those zero to 60 times will no longer be relevant like it's broken the game <clears throat> and same with like that quarter mile time it's broken that whole those those bragging rights and you're gonna have to get a whole new benchmark um a whole new number um if you have to be zero to 100 it's gonna have to be an, uh, a half mile instead of a quarter mile or something it's, like that it's an interesting question um so the 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 fastest run i did it did zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds which is really, 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 really fast. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's totally ridiculous. Uh, you're looking at Porsche 911 
turbo territory at that point, which is a car mm-hmm. that has an all-wheel drive system and a whole bunch of computer stuff going on behind the scenes. But, you know, your question makes me think about what happened when the, the when Bugatti brought out the, the car whose name I never say properly, the, the Veyron or the Veyron or the Veyron. Mm-hmm. Um, the Veyron. I think everyone recognizes the Veyron. Veyron. All right. <laughs> yeah. Let's say Veyron. Uh, in yeah, any we'll, case, we'll figure out if somebody emails us and tells us that we got our way wrong and they so, insulted their language. The, the Veyron is essentially the supercar version of the of the Demon. The Veyron was built to do one thing, and that is be the fastest car on the planet. But it was and, extremely uh, expensive. It was unattainable. Yeah. But but that doesn't mean it didn't exist. And the, the reason I, I'm bringing it up is because you mentioned Game Changer. And what happened with the Veyron is it changed the game for supercars, where all of a sudden everyone had been bragging about top speeds, and, and, and they were all kind of in the same club together. And they mm-hmm. would they would one-up each other by five miles per hour, maybe. But then the Veyron came along and just blew everyone out of the water. And at that point, everyone at Ferrari and uh, Lamborghini and um, um, uh, we were talking about McLaren, they all had to do something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all had to have something other than top speed as their raison d'etre. And the Demon is doing the same thing for drag cars. If, you, if you're building like a, a factory, you know, a factory drag car or a car that's supposed to be quick in a, a straight line, you know, it's nice that your Mustang GT does like, what, 12.1 or something at, mm. at the track. It, Ten years ago, 12.1 would have been amazing. But now that there's a street car that runs nines, it's like you're going to have to find something else. Just like you said, there, there's going to have to be more to the story. And it's interesting because unlike, you know, uh, lap records, which are very influenced by tire technology, um, it's not like this is a, a record that's going to be eclipsed anytime soon. Also because no other car company needs to do what FCA did. They right. don't need to build a drag car. They, uh, the, uh, one of the most telling quotes from SRT was they, they said, you know, we were asked, why did we do this? What's the business case for building the Demon? And they said, the Demon is a Super Bowl commercial that doesn't exist only on YouTube. This is our Super Bowl commercial that will be on the street for the next 20 years and every time you see one you're going to know exactly what it is and how what it represents to the company and that's a really intriguing way to look at the program Does yeah it- i mean I, I think that they saw that you know chevrolet and, and ford are were sort of owning the, the sports car sort of you know segment of the of the performance element with the, with the camaro and the mustang and they said what can we do with this car it's going to cost us too much to make the hellcat you know a, a superior handling car on, in the, on a road course on these cars so what can we do with this platform that no one else is looking at? Well, drag racing and acceleration is a really easy metric for people to digest. Mm-hmm. And so make, making the car faster than all these other cars in a straight line, um, it was easy because they had this, this huge supercharged motor already that they could do some tweaks to. And then they have something where no one else is actually spending their development money that way. And they can say, we own this space now. And I, don't, I, I think it'll sit as an outlier for a long time because... The only reason you would build a motor that makes 850 horsepower at this point would be to sort of defeat that that benchmark, um, which I don't think that Ford and Chevy are particularly interested in doing, at least not with a streetcar. Definitely diminishing returns for them from a business perspective at that point. Although, you know, you were saying something earlier, Brad, just before we went on the air (laughs) about how for Chrysler, they kind of they're only building 3,300 of these. Right. But they put in all this development time. Um, they have all this, the tooling to build the engine and the expertise. Is it really just going to sit in the demon forever and that's it? Like, I think it's really end? unlikely. I think that, you know, as they sort of refine the transmissions and, and the fuel economy gets back down to wherever the, the Hellcat is, I would imagine it's, it's slightly worse. 
but not significantly worse as long as you're driving in like a normal car. Um, they can start building these, a lot more of them. And I mean, they already have all the technology to do this. It seems, and they've done all the development. It seems like it would be a waste to just build 3,300 of these motors and say, all right, we're done. So what are you what are you thinking what are you thinking is the next vehicle to see this demon engine because you know everyone was like oh the Hellcat's just going to be the Hellcat and then we got the Trackhawk which uh, I'll be driving in a few weeks actually I'm very excited but it's the Grand Cherokee with a Hellcat engine so once the Grand Cherokee has a Hellcat engine in it there's no reason something else can't have a demon engine so well, what's the next what's the next candidate the the Hellcat I think that in two years that that's going to be how they're going to send off the car is with that motor um, and I think it's going to piss off a lot of demon owners but I I don't see any reason why if you have this more powerful version of the engine, why you wouldn't just start using that anyway, you know, as you know, to, especially if you want to bolster sales once there is this more attractive motor option that no one can get to at this point. Well, I want I want to see it. Uh, I want to see it in a truck. I want to see. I think I you're see the... something, Ben. I want to see it in either a, a, a Wrangler or a or a Ch- Grand Cherokee. <laughs> you want to see it in a Wrangler? Yeah. They just you want an 840 horsepower? Now just let's put it on the let's put it in the desert and make it even faster. That's crazy. Race gas Wrangler? Yeah, they man. they did that with the uh, with that con- that SEMA concept. What was it? The, the Trailcat? Yeah. Wow. Wow. I d- I didn't even. That's some crazy Island of Doctor Moreau style exactly. engineering. That's like, exactly it. That was not an easy task, though. I mean, they had to like widen the whole platform in order to get the engine in there. It was. It well, was not. It was not easy. We're getting a new Wrangler soon, so yeah. maybe it's going to be pre-widened. Who knows? You know. Like, <laughs> I, I want to see. I want to see them bring back the Dakota nameplate and just like it'll be one model. It'll be the Dakota Demon, and and it's just a truck. With an engine and a cab, and for a dollar you get the bed, and for another dollar you get a windshield. <laughs> and, but, and and the demon box, they could just call the the demon box instead of the demon crate, and that'll yeah. be the box of the truck. And like it'll be pretty sweet because they'll have these like embedded tools in the box, so over time they'll rattle free and fly back and cause huge liability issues for FCA. <laughs> oh, they would love yeah. that, I'm sure. No, I but mean, I, realistically, it would be really cool if they actually built that uh, TRX sort of Raptor, you know, competitor concept that they did and, and put this motor in there, which is not beyond the pale. I mean, that, that could happen. What would you what would you call it? Give me give me a good name for a demon powered ramp. Uh, is it like the hell hauler or something? <laughs> <laughs> and then you put a winch on the front. So you've got like the exorcist or something. I don't know. No, you, you don't have a winch on the front. You have a winch on the back and, and you could swap for another dollar. You get a, <laughs> no, you, you get a parachute <laughs> yeah, man. and it swaps in where the winch was. And if you don't get the winch and you don't get the box, you're not going anywhere because there won't be any weight on the rear wheels at all. But if you pay another dollar, so we're up to $3 now. Well, wait, $4 because you have the windshield, you have the box, you have the the winch slash parachute. Now you have the dually. So you add two more wheels to the back of the truck. Traction is insane. You're running 9.64 in the quarter mile. The truck. Well, I mean, it's not that crazy because they did the the Viper motor in, in a you know short cab you know Ram pickup you know years ago, and then the ultimate burnout machine. Again. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be quick, but it's just it definitely would have a lot of personality, and I well, mean, people put, love that thing. What about all-wheel drive? I mean, they could do that. They have the tooling for it. The Dakota has it, and the the you know obviously the Trackhawk's going to have you know. A, a, an all-wheel drive system stout enough to handle that much power, or at least the 707 version of that that supercharged Hemi. So, 
it's not that crazy to think that they could do this. No, and and you know you look at you look at Dodge and, and Chrysler right now. They don't really have a lot of products out there. Chrysler has two products. Um, they've got the 300 and they've got the Pacifica. And I don't think we're going to see a Demon Pacifica anytime soon. That's Although that would shame, be that. Really. I mean, you know the the we, we mentioned the Durango SRT earlier. You can get a a rear seat delete package for the Durango. That all, and uh, it, it saves a little bit of weight. So if you get a, a rear seat delete in the Pacifica, and then you put the engine in the back of the Pacifica, and and then you encase it in, I don't know, whatever safety <laughs> stuff you have to do, but you make sure that's translucent so you can see the engine in your mirror. I mean, that would be pretty <laughs> cool. You probably have to lose the integrated vacuum uh, at the same time. But uh, I'd be down for that. Yeah, no, I mean, they're definitely low on products right now. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, they're talking about the, the Alpha Julia platform replacing what, what they're using, the, the Alex platform for the Challenger and the Charger when, when those cars, when a new generation of those cars comes out in a few years. It'll be interesting to see if a platform that size can take a motor of this size in it. Because, you know, there's, there's a good chance that after that happens, these motors won't go in those cars anymore, or at least not in this configuration that they are right now. They're just physically large motors. Well, um, I think that kind of, kind of, that we can wrap up the demon talk on that note. Um, is there anything interesting you want to talk about the other cars that you drove? The um, the Durango SRT, which is a crazy idea as well, and that Hawaii and that wide-bodied Hellcat. Anything you guys want to add about those? The wide-body Hellcat was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, just learning about it, it seems like a very interesting idea and um, adds a little bit more. Um, oomph to the a little bit more value. I don't know if value is the right word for it, but like oomph. See, to value the, is to the value Hellcat. is not a word I would use. Uh, Brad knows why I think that way. I mean, I don't know exactly why Ben thinks that way. I know I think that way. I mean, it, if you were to swap, so so the the the, the package costs seventy three hundred bucks over the top of, of of what the car already costs. That is um, a bit much. It it is a bit much. You have to switch over to an EP an electronically assisted. Uh, power steering system from a hydraulic system that they still use on the standard Hellcat. So that, that is, a, you know, there's a give and take there because you could say that, you know, there's a tangible benefit with a three mode weight system that they have now, but you also lose some at limit feel by doing that, which is sort of not necessarily a tangible disadvantage to most people. But the thing is you could easily get a second set of, t you know, wheels and tires uh, with our compound, you know, uh, tires on them and get as much or more grip than these offer uh, yeah. on a standard Hellcat. Or maybe and, add your own flares, you know, like it's yeah. not impossible to do. Um, and it's a lot of money to pay for what is essentially a tire package. Is there a yeah. really gross looking rocket bunny kit for the uh, Challenger? <laughs> there should be. <laughs> also, I would say that, I mean, it's cool that they did this and it, make, it makes sense from a business standpoint. To like, we're going to do all this tooling to make these bodies. We got to do something that's going to be more volume than just the 3,200 cars that are going to be the demons. Um, but uh, they. So basically, you know, it, part of what makes the Hellcat fun is, is it's like slightly unhinged. And I think that that's part of what makes it entertaining. And when you okay. add more grip, it's a little faster, but it's, it has in some ways a little less personality because you're not you're not sort of you know constantly having to you know be patient with the throttle or not caring about being patient with the throttle because the car wants to go sideways the cars are generally stable you know even though they lose grip you know often um even when they do it's it's in a pretty predictable and progressive way um, well, predictable to someone who's extremely familiar with the lx platform like you sure 
I mean, I wouldn't recommend somebody roll off the de- you know to dealer lot and start you know going sideways down the street. I mean, you have That's to. That's more your- of a, a Mustang thing, I think. <laughs> Don't you have to, think, have to uh, break it in a little bit first? You do, and it is a, right. a painstaking process. You, you can't take it over at, I think, 3,500 RPM for the first yeah. 100 miles, which is horrible. You basically just want to drive the car until you get to 100 miles so that you can actually just start opening it up. And at that point, you can do 5,500, and then at 500 miles, you can actually start driving the car. Now, you, you got to Ferris Bueller it, man, and just like yeah. jack up that rear end and put a brick on the, uh, put a brick on the accelerator. So, I mean, the wide body you know, setup definitely makes the car it gives it more grip so you get you, you can brake later you can get on the throttle earlier earlier on corner exit and you carry more speed through the corners and that that's all good stuff it makes the car faster i mean you, you will do faster lap times and you'll be faster in the straight line i don't know if it necessarily makes the car more fun that's really it's, it's pretty subjective at this point because okay. it, the experience is very similar um to a standard fender hellcat it's just you can basically use more throttle more often it doesn't ruin the whole experience. I mean, I know you said that it's a different feel altogether, but I, I can't imagine it being a worse car now, right? I mean, I, like, no, I don't mean it's a different... It feels very similar to the standard okay. kind of car. I just think that it's, uh, like I said, you can use more throttle more often, um, which is, I guess, good in a way. It's just that, you know, I'm not sure if that actually necessarily makes the car more fun to drive. You're okay. not You're not buying a Hellcat to set lap times. Like, you are buying okay. it to be a hooligan with. And so what what this setup does is make it less of a hooligan and more of a proper, you know, well-gripped car. Yeah. Well, it addresses some of the weaknesses, it sounds like. They they heard some complaints that some people saying it's not the best thing on the track, and now they've got an option for people who, who are complaining about that. In a straight line, you're definitely – having more tire to work with will definitely make this car faster, and it's definitely easier to launch the car. Okay. And when you start using a more aggressive tire compound, it's going to get a lot faster because you have so much more – section to work with okay but like cool. i mean i i think that the, the also the look of it is something that's kind of subjective too because i mean personally when i look at that i i wish that it was a unique stamping as opposed to having the the fenders cut out and sort of the flares added and, mm. and i mean to me i can see that and especially you know you look at like where the uh, side marker is and half of it is on the actual fender and half of it's on the flare and it's sort yeah, of it's curved, each other. It's curved up <laughs> and that just to me that I can't unsee that once I've seen it. Um, it, it probably doesn't matter to 99.9% of the people who would buy these cars. But to me, that's just it drives me crazy. It looks like an afterthought to me. Okay. And then let's talk about this uh, Durango SRT, which is for the soccer parent or the parent that is perpetually late to picking up their kid. Um, <laughs> like, is this, this this is there a market for this thing? It's a three row Grand Cherokee SRT. That's yeah, essentially totally. that's essentially what you need to know about it. I mean, it feels exactly like a Grand Cherokee SRT out on the track, I, it, which is cool. I mean, this is a fun car, and that's you know, it's a great Grand Tour. It, you feel that it weighs you know, 5,200 pounds pretty much any time you start throwing it around a racetrack, but it's definitely yeah. quick. It's very competent, yeah. Uh, and um, I, I, you know, uh, something interesting that I hadn't thought about. So someone commented on my review of it, mm-hmm. saying that they had ordered one, and the reason they did it was because it gave them much better performance and better interior volume than a Yukon Denali. Which is and, a vehicle uh, with a Corvette engine, a 6.2 liter, not a Corvette engine, but a 6.2 liter V8, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it has an LS. It has an yeah. LS. LT. But what's 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 it? It's it's an LT. Yeah, uh, it's an LT1. Really, I didn't I didn't think it was an LT1. Yeah, the, the whole the whole lineup is now all the V8 cars get get the L, the direct injected LT1 now. Okay, really? I didn't want okay. to I didn't want to mix it up, but yeah, okay. 
Okay, so um, at this, at this, uh, what, what's interesting about that comparison is the Denali is a much larger vehicle physically. It's a full-size body-on-frame SUV mm-hmm. that has three rows. The Durango is theoretically a mid-size unibody three-row SUV. Uh, they are also not competing in terms of equipment. The, the Denali is a luxury vehicle, but the guy made a lot of really intriguing points about how these vehicles stack up to each other price-wise. Uh, it's still cheaper to buy the Durango. You're gonna get better straight-line speed because it's not quite as big and heavy. And it's when when GM redesigned the Yukon and they made that power folding rear seat, they lost a lot of cargo space. So that's that's an issue too. Um, and I thought I thought that was a fascinating way to kind of approach the who's gonna buy the the SRT. The, the guy is a big SRT fan, and I believe he has other SRT products, and I think that's the b- primary audience for the Durango SRT. I mean, but the, there, it's a niche market, but it definitely exists. Chevy has a, a sort of specialty version of the Tahoe called, called the RST or something like that, which yeah, is like but a that's, performance that's all, tuned version of, this, of the Tahoe. That's an, appearance, that's an appearance package vehicle. I mean, that's that was a really disappointing vehicle. Um, the, the coolest thing about the Denali that, that you won't find in the Durango is the adaptive, magnetically adaptive shocks, yeah, make which are out, yeah. they're outstanding <clears throat> and yeah. they make that big Denali feel much smaller, but that doesn't take away from what Brad was saying about how well the Durango SRT handles itself on a track. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's the Tahoe feels like a much, much bigger vehicle and it's not as nearly as fast in a straight line either. Cool. That's a that's a really we had a very Mopar heavy um, podcast. So why don't I fill in uh, the gaps here and I'll tell you what I drove recently. I went to Nashville and drove the 2018 Infinity Q50. That's Infinity Sports sedan, as you all know, and uh, it can be equipped with the three liter V6 with uh, twin turbos that makes 400 horsepower. Why don't you? Are, are you ask are me, you allowed are you allowed to talk about this car, Sammy? I'm actually not allowed to give you driving impressions. <laughs> Until tomorrow. <laughs> okay. But uh, why don't you ask them what they changed? What did they change, Sam? Not much. Not very much at all. <laughs> uh, it looks slight, slightly different, and uh, there's a new trim. There's a whole lot of, like, a whole new trim restructuring here. Um, and the interior has a lot of things borrowed from the coupe, like the steering wheel and transmission, uh, the shift, shift lever. And that's about it. Uh, I, I'm kind of bummed because... On, on the one hand, I'm kind of bummed because um, the Q50 had some uh, areas to grow, and um, some of its competition has gotten much better. There's new generations of the A4 and C-Class that um, are very good, and it needed much more than just um, a new look to to get past those cars. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to compete with, or it's hard to to complain with the pricing of the vehicle and uh, 400 horsepower that you get with it. That got dangerously close to a driving impression. I started sweating. I was like, I'm going to... Uh-oh. I'm a professional here, I think, most of the time. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting... And you know what? We've all driven these uh, 400 horsepower Infiniti products before. Um, I think we were all on the Q60 launch. Yeah, I mean, are we allowed people? to talk about the Q60 since it uses the same engine? I mean, that would be a driving impression of a very similar car with no, exactly I, the let's, same let's, engine. Let's not poke that behind. <laughs> oh, so we don't want to bore our listeners here. Um, what else is uh, what else is going on, Ben? Uh, are you driving anything interesting this week? Uh, I am not. I'm go- I'm going on vacation, and I'm not going to think about anything uh, until uh, ten days from tomorrow. Fantastic. And um, that's it. I think that's that's all we got for this week's podcast. What do you think, guys? Anything you want to add? 
I want to say thank you to Brad for for uh, showing up on time to this podcast and contri- <laughs> contributing in a meaningful way. Thank you, thank very you much, Brad. Brad. Uh, and if, if if I if I wanted to read what Brad had Brad what you had to say about the uh, Y Body Challenger and the Demon, where could I do that? Uh, the Y Body Challenger stuff you could find on Hot Rod uh, and also on MotorOne.com, and the Demon is on StreetMuscleMagazine.com. Wicked. And uh, Ben, where can some of our readers actually find your into impressions of those vehicles? Uh, the Demon you can and the Durango you can go to um, AutoGuide.com. They're mm-hmm. both there. And you can also find some impressions on auto123.com. Awesome. And if anybody wanted to catch up on some uh, previous episodes of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, you can find um, us at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. That'll take you take you to your to our SoundCloud page. Or you can find us on Google Play Music and Apple iTunes. Um, and you can hit the subscribe button and rate us if you enjoyed uh, this podcast, especially this podcast, because Brad's in it. Um, <laughs> Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, as I was when I was uh, laughing with Ben and Brad here. Benjamin is at <laughs> Hunting Benjamin. And I, I just want to say a shout out to Chance the Rapper, who essentially stepped into a bad financial situation at SoundCloud and made them an offer that will keep them in business. And thank you, Chance, because now I don't have to move my podcast host, and that would have been a bit of a hassle. Yeah, that would have been a pain in the butt. Brad, are you on Twitter? Can uh, our listeners find you on Twitter? I think they should just Google me if they want to find me. I, I don't really... Wow, check out this guy. That's a, look at this big shot over here. Just Google me. I, I don't use Twitter or Instagram, really, and Facebook is just, you know... That's a little, what about all your, a little too close to home. What about all the bulldog? Uh, what about all the bulldog pictures on Instagram? Come on. The, you know the, the wife's got that coverage. They can find her sm- small under, underscore bones. Plenty of bulldog content on there. All right, perfect. So oh, wait a minute. I'm I actually just googled Brad Iger, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I want this is the best thing I found. In this is on the first page of Google results. Oh, Off road no. extreme, uh, which is apparently one of Brad's outlets, but. Here's here's the here's his bio on Alpha Road Extreme. <laughs> Raised by wolves in the far reaches of Orange County, California, Brad is no stranger to the driver's seat, as it is a wolf's custom to get their offspring up to race pace as early as possible. <laughs> that's amazing. That's hey, amazing. That's what happens when you're allowed to set your own bio for a company. <laughs> and, and and the bio picture looks like it might be a close-up of an armpit. I'm not <laughs> sure what it is. <laughs> Uh, that's quality WordPress for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you again, Brad, for uh, taking the time out of your day to uh, chat with us and tell us all about your demon experience. My pleasure. And uh, thanks to the listeners for taking the time to listen. Uh, we'll catch you not next week because uh, Ben is on vacation, but perhaps the week after that. Thank you, everyone. Adios. Bye.